Uh, you guys want to hear a ridiculous story? I heard somebody say always, like, yeah, you always love a good, ridiculous, um, self-deprecating story from my childhood. So here's another one. Here we go. And so uh, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, my, the church I grew up in had uh, a drama team. And inevitably, uh, the drama team was all girls. And so not that dudes can't be on drama team, but uh, it was all, all girls at, at my church. And so I don't know if you know this, like there's this whole competitive underworld in churches like they have like all these competitions and stuff and so the these this group of girls were going to this church drama competition and it's always tough in like girl only drama teams because they always need a Jesus right they always need a Jesus and so they start asking around to all the guys like in our age bracket that could be a part of this competition because of age and they ask like four guys and I'm like their fourth or fifth option and they finally come to me and, uh, you know, I, I'm an impressionable young man, and when four or five girls are begging you to come save the day, it's like, it's kind of like, okay, I guess I'll do it. So I became their Jesus, and, and it was like a song that would play in the background, and they were going to act things out and all those uh, things, and uh, they didn't really have any lines for me. In fact, they didn't have anything for me to do. My job was pretty simple, like act like I'm on the cross. And five minutes does not seem like a long time until you got to act like you're on the cross for five minutes. And all of a sudden, five minutes feels super long. The first minute, not too bad. Second minute, like my arms are getting a little bit tired. I'm just bending my elbows a little bit. And by the fourth and fifth minute, I'm like, please let me put my arms down. And so they had been practicing for months. And I kind of came in on the the last few uh, practices, and uh, as I, I, I jumped in there, we, we went to competition, and again, all I had to do was hold my arms up until that is, <clears throat> at one part in the, the, the song that the, the different drama team members were going to come up and start beating me. They would start, like, kneeing me and punching me and stabbing me with fake, like, sticks and stuff and spitting on me and, like, jeering at me and um, let's say I, I wasn't like a, a professional actor. I'm not a professional actor. And so I had, I, I did what most, you know, 11 and 12 year old boys would do. You think it's hilarious. Like when somebody's trying to fake kick you and you're on stage. And so anyway, we go to comp competition. Competition happens and it's our turn. I get up there and I assume the position and then I'm just like, you know, I'm taking it, you know, I'm doing great until they start like kneeing me and kicking me and stuff. And then I can't help but start smirking. Like, and like, I'm a smirky, if, you, if you've been around Kyle, like for any stretch of time, you know, I've got this little smirk and like I see it in my kids and it's just a little smirk. And so I was just smirking on the cross, you know, as they're kicking me and punching me and spitting on me. And, and uh, uh, so the competition ends and spoiler alert, we did not win. Shocker. Um, no honorable mention, no participation trophy. I mean, what the deal? Because uh, that didn't exist back then. But uh, anyway, and, and, and so we didn't, we didn't win the competition. And, and we went home. And about a month later, we get the comments from the judges. And it's like, we really enjoyed the performance. Um, but, quote unquote, next time, try to find a Jesus who doesn't think it's funny to be crucified. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, that was me. And so I wasn't too upset about losing because let's be real, my heart wasn't in it. I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I just, I just, uh, you know, was an impressionable young man who said yes to a bunch of girls wanting me to play Jesus. And uh, so my heart wasn't in it in, in that uh, in that setting. Uh, so I wasn't too too bummed about 
uh, bummed about it because my, I, I realized my performance wasn't good enough for us to do that. And everyone else realized and the judges realized my performance wasn't good enough. And I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like your performance isn't good enough? Um, you ever felt like you're not a good enough student? Like you're not a, a good enough son? Not a good enough spouse? Not a good enough mother? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're not a good enough Christian to really go to heaven? Ever like midweek and like you see an encouraging quote and you kind of just feel this weight that hits you like, I don't read my Bible enough. I don't, I don't pray enough. And there's this kind of this weight that just comes over you and just that just kind of lingers. And honestly, I think a lot of, I think one of the, the sources of this drastic rise in depression, I think, is this weight. This, this performance to weight in which we never quite feel like we're measuring up as we're constantly connected to everyone else's highlights on our devices and constantly living in our low lights. This is the world we live in. And so we never feel like we're good enough. And that, for many of us, has become, uh, has become our identity. Not good enough. And, and I want to talk to us today uh, about one particular religiously transmitted disease called legalism, or we could, could call it today the performance pathogen. It, it's this performance pathogen that we're never living up to. And I want to turn to a text in Galatians chapter 5 today in which Paul is talking to one of the early churches, Galatia, and he's speaking to them and he's saying, look, I want you to stay free. I want you to, to stay free. Don't go back where you came from. And, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you this. Like, I, I had a completely different plan of where I was going this morning. And in fact, for months, I was planning to speak on a completely different topic. And about 4 o'clock yesterday, God gave me just a vision for where he really wanted me to go this morning. And so I'm, I'm running with it today. Um, but I don't think that's for nothing. I, I think that it's because some of us in the room, we need to hear what we're about to get into because the early church, they had been freed by Christ. And Paul was warning them, don't, don't go back to the yoke of slavery. And I feel like some of us today, we're in the middle. And like we know we're freed, but we are so close to taking on the yoke of slavery once again. Where it feels like we're slaves once again and not sons. Like we're servants and not daughters. And God is, wants to call us be beyond that uh, this morning. So let's read in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and we'll process what this means for our life. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by law, and you've been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. And by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. 
Who cut in on you? Who kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Thankful for God's word this morning. I think before we can understand this text, we got to talk about circumcision, which I know you woke up this morning saying, I hope pastor preaches on circumcision. Just really, that feel, that would speak to my heart. And so um, I think it's important that we kind of understand the dynamics and what's at play here uh, in the church in Galatia and in the early church. Uh, It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, and there's this man named Abram. Actually, before that, Genesis chapter 12, and God calls Abram in in his old age to leave the land in which he's always known, the, the safety and comfort of his hometown, to go into the land that God will show him. And he... God gives him a promise that he's going to make him a great nation, and he's going to have so many descendants. And and through this time, uh, uh, Abraham gets a little bit restless, and his wife kind of begins to feel a little bit anxious about this idea because they're well up into their years, way past childbearing years. So the thought of this is a stretch, to say the least. And Sarah gets a little bit kind of edgy about it, and eventually she's like, just go sleep with your servant. They go sleep with the maid, and like, ladies, don't tell your man to do something stupid, because he'll do something stupid, and so uh, he'll just take you at your word, and so Abraham goes and does what she said. They end up having a, a, a child, and his name is Ishmael, and time would go on, and we'd get to Genesis chapter 17, and God would reaffirm the promise he gave him to make a great nation out of him. Uh, to, to make him his descendants as many as stars are in the sky and, sea, uh, uh, and uh, sand is on the seashore, that he would be the father of many nations. And God wanted to confirm this through a covenant called circumcision, a cutting away of the male foreskin. It was almost, like just think about it, it's like a tagging system. You know how researchers tag like an animal by the ear so they can keep up with them. Circumcision is kind of like, and there's, it's so deep, all right, so I'm not going to do a full message on circumcision. Don't worry. Um, but it's kind of like a tagging system that he was a father of many nations. And so now literally think about how many nations this custom, this tradition is all over the world. He's a father of many nations. It started with this. And through this, uh, God reaffirms that commitment. He's like, I'm not done with you. That wasn't, your, 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 your son through the slave is, is not your only son. I've got a whole nation that's going to be birthed out of you. But you've got to trust me. And so uh, Abraham is 99 years old. And he's like, God, you've got to be kidding me. I'm 99 years old. <laughs> you know, the, this isn't happening. And, and to the point where Genesis chapter 17 says, Abraham is laying face down laughing his head off at God. Like, when's the last time you laughed that hard? Face down, like, yeah, right, God. I, I wonder if, if, and this has nothing to do with the message, but I just wonder if, if we would be open to it, if God might have some promises for our life that we'll, we can't help but just laugh, like, yeah, right, God. And, but as much as he didn't understand that and think that was wild and crazy, he said yes, and he did it. At 99 years old, cutting away the flesh. Come on, somebody. Fellas, can I get a, oh, can I get a, you know? And so there's, a, there's just this intensity about this message. And it's a, it's a foreshadowing to the cross. It's a, a foreshadowing of, of the flesh dying. It's a foreshadowing to us as the church dying to our flesh on a daily basis. So much to this. 
Uh, but for the early church, these folks in Galatia, I mean, just think about it. They had been carrying on this tradition for, what, uh, for uh, the longest time, for generations. And now Jesus comes into the picture, and they are set free from the burden of the law, which at that time there was no law. In Genesis time, remember, they would go later into uh, Egyptian slavery, and it's after they have been set free from slavery that the, in, the law enters the picture, makes up the old covenant. That that's when the law entered the picture, and so what the law did is it just pointed us to the fact that we couldn't survive under it. All 614 laws, that, and a bunch of them they made up, like, we couldn't survive under it. None of us could work our, our way and perfect through that. And so at this time, the Jews and Gentiles, the, the, the faith first came to the Jews, and then Paul, his ministry was to carry the message to Gentiles. And so I don't know if any of you from Jewish background, you're with the Jewish background here that the gospel came to your people first, but for the rest of us in the room, Gentiles, the, the, the gospel came to, um, after to us. So thank God for the ministry of Paul, because that's really where that uh, began to, to take place. And so what Jews are saying, like, hey, if we're still doing this, if we've got to do this tradition, at this point, it's just a, it's just a tradition. If we've still got to do this, they got to do this too. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be saying, and i got to sacrifice, and they, and they don't have to sacrifice. Um, and so they were trying to put this yoke of slavery, this, this, this reminder, and if a, a Gentile was to be circumcised, what Paul was saying is, you're coming up under the law, and you're making a choice that I, I have to perform, I have to work as opposed to live in grace. It was, when Gentiles were doing that, it was saying, because the, the two systems, a system of law and a system of grace, are incompatible. Uh, these legalists at the time, who, who wanted Jesus, but we wanted their rules too. They kind of wanted to have both, and Paul's saying, they're incompatible. You either have grace and you live in the tree of life or you live in the knowledge of good and evil. For those of you that have been a part of our freedom group, it's, it's really the same thing. I mean, we see this foreshadowing in the Garden of Eden, and here it is again in the New Testament trying to process this. So it preceded the law and it was post the law. So God's plan's always been the same. And so what began to happen is, is legalism is present. Legalism defined as this. It's an attempt to gain favor with God or to impress our fellow man by doing certain things for or avoiding certain things without regard to the condition of our hearts before God. I mean, we see this legalism all the, all the time in the New Testament. Uh, we see it all the time in our churches. We see it all the time in our own homes. Uh, it happens at times legalism is good things. In fact, holy things. And in fact, I would say most legalists on the outside, are concerned with holiness, concerned with doing all the right things, checking all the boxes, but they live as slaves, not as sons. Their hearts are not in it. Like I said, it happens in our homes, like sometimes Taryn will leave the house and, and I'll take out the trash and, uh, and I'll, leave, I'll leave it without the bag in there just so she knows I took out the trash. So she catches it. And it actually makes her mad. She's like, oh, who didn't fill this back? And it defeats the purpose. Or with the laundry, I'll put the laundry away. I'll fold the laundry and put it away, and I'll just leave a few things out in her thing so she knows, yeah, put it, put it away. You see, I'm doing the right thing. Um, and like, it's like the whole time I'm like searching for a pat on the back. Like, good job. You're a mature adult. Like, what do you want, a cookie? You know? And so this whole time, I'm doing the right things, but not in the right heart. Not in the right spirit. This is 
legalism. I'd like to think that I'm not legalistic, but at times, and I think most of us would want to distance ourselves from that term that we could ever be considered that, but I think you too have found yourself doing all the right things, but kind of losing who you're supposed to be in the process. At times, I find myself obeying the letter of the law, but, you know, forgetting the spirit of the law. At times, I I catch myself wanting to attach yokes or expectations on other people that God didn't give them. You ever found yourself doing that? Just wanting to attach these yokes, and it's probably not circumcision. I doubt it is, but maybe it's something else that is a yoke. And I want to tell you that Jesus hates legalism. He hates it because it does not uh, deal with the condition of our hearts. Jesus is always looking to the heart. And as with every religiously transmitted disease throughout this series, self-righteousness is the core problem of them all. And hypocrisy is self-righteousness, which I really think the deeper root is pride, but let's keep going with self-righteousness. With idolatry, it's self-righteousness. With judgment, it's self-righteousness. We think we have it all under control in our own self. And Paul is talking to an audience. He's talking to a church who's been set free from that. He's talking to Jews like, hey, you just got free from this slavery. Don't get yoked again. Go back to verse 1 and read it. Stand firm and do not let yourselves again you know, fall under and be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You know, I, I think this, this word stand firm, it's really a persistence, a perseverance when there's this battling for us. I mean, I think about me back on my silly cross back in the day when I'm playing in this drama and I'm having to be persistent and persevere as people are hitting me. And I was doing fine until people entered the picture. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But then Jesus had to set me free again and again and again, and he has to keep us free. See, good law is grace, and God has called us to live free. He, want, he doesn't just want to set us free, he wants to keep us free. And John chapter 15 tells us the only way that we do that is if we remain in the vine. We can, apart from the vine, apart from Christ, we can bear no good fruit. It only comes from remaining in him. Paul describes it like this in verse 4. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, it's a fall from grace. You ever heard that phrase? I mean, we just read it a second ago. This is where it comes from, but it's been translated, in, and it's wrong in the way in which we talk about it. Because most of the time, we attribute a fall from grace as someone sinning, Right? Like they fell from grace. Like they had this massive sin that everybody found out about. There was a fall from grace from grace or something like that. But as Paul's talking about, falling from grace is legalism. Falling from grace is is doing all the right things in the wrong spirit. It's trying to put a yoke on other people. R.C. Sproul really describes there's three different types of legalism. There's uh, one where there's an obsession with do's and don'ts, a checklist type of thing, void of the condition of the heart. There um, is uh, one in which I'm trying to put yokes on other people and, and make them uh, meet uh, my uh, expectations. And, and then there's a legalism in which uh, we, we want to obey the letter of the law but violate the, the spirit of it, an external obedience devoid of inner 
obedience. Like we do the right things. And, and Paul says this is a fall from grace. And, and I think what I, I do want to tell us is that we fall away from grace when our heart isn't engaged in our doing for God or what we're not doing for God. Like, God, I'm giving this up for you. You know, but our heart's not in it. We're just like, we're doing God a solid. You know, and our heart's not really in it. Or, or our, our giving or our, our service and ministry, like we're, we're doing it and, and really... But if our heart's not in it, like it, it, it's just legalism. Like we're just going through the motions and Paul's going to give us a way out. He's going to give us the method to, to stay in a pure place and, and to stay free. Because that's God's heart for us is that we would stay free. And, and I want to tell us, you go on to verse 5 and it says this phrase, we eagerly await the righteousness for which we hope for. Righteousness is simply right thinking and right actions. It's something that we don't have within ourselves. We have a fallen state of mind, a broken state of mind. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we eagerly await this. I was talking about it in our communion and table invite uh, earlier of just like this undoneness. And this is kind of the, the text I was referring to in my head is, is this eagerly awaiting the righteousness for which we hope for. And here's the reality the perfection that we long for is only found in Christ. It's only found in Christ. I've got a perfectionist that used to live in me, and he died a long time ago. Um, because I felt really beat up. Because I was burdened down by shame. I had a deep yoke of slavery to sin and and a serious yoke of slavery to, to shame. Because every time I would stumble, every time I would fall short, I would just get this image in my head and this feeling that I had fallen from this giant ladder. Anybody ever felt like that before? And now i got to pick myself up and start climbing again. And it was my self-righteousness that made me believe that I was at the top of that ladder in the beginning. It, it was my ignorance of grace that made me believe that that ladder would somehow lead to heaven, as if my doing would be good enough. But it was Jesus, but it was Jesus who taught me that every time I fall, his grace catches me. It was Jesus that taught me that it wasn't my climbing that I would get to heaven, it was him dying in which I could receive heaven. And since that time, I understand grace. And since that time, I've released my perfection into Jesus Christ alone. He is my perfection. He is enough for me. So perfectionist, I'm talking to you. Person in the room who's struggling to overcome right now, who's struggling to put it all together right now, I'm talking to you. Because your perfection is only found in Christ. It's only in him. And it's for, for all of us. There's no shame here. There's no condemnation just sons and daughters, chosen by God. We've made a decision to put our faith in Jesus and to walk in the freedom that he can bring us, not that we can bring ourselves. And so we, we get it out of whack. His grace is sufficient uh, for our, our weakness. I think there's this whole conversation going around. There's some, and I'm not meaning to, to bash anybody. I don't even know the names associated, but, but I've seen this kind of phrase a lot, like, you're enough. Like, and I'm not, I'm not banging on anybody who used that phrase because I don't really know the intentions that they do. But what it communicates to me is like, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Because here's the reality is none of us are enough. We're not. 
And, and, and I'll hear that message from the enemy from time to time, and you've probably got it too, like you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Or this feeling or this weight, this yoke of slavery. And you know how I always response, uh, respond to that? Because the enemy wants me to go into this kind of depressive state from it. You know how I respond? No, duh, bro. Don't you understand the gospel? I'm not enough. That's the whole point. Jesus is enough. And I can just speak that right back to him. And like, I take, it's like, there's this, uh, this scientific thing. I didn't think through this totally. I was explaining to, to Beckett the other day uh, that when, uh, I don't really know all the science and mathematics and physics of it, but I was explaining when there's a batter at the plate, and like the enemy will try to throw something at you and just like a, a 90 mile an hour fastball right down the middle. But when in the, in the majors, they don't play with aluminum bats, they play with wooden bats. And I think when we swing back just as hard, that bat breaks. Uh, it, something happens in the atmosphere. What was meant to harm us is actually, um, we can actually put right back at him that I'm not enough because his grace is sufficient for my weakness. I, I love what verse six says. The only thing that counts, this is it. The only thing that counts. No circumcision, no uncircumcision. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith working through love is how. Faith working through love. That's it. Not, not, not faith in our work. Faith working through love, expressing. It's the word energeo, the Greek word where we get the word energy. It's like moving. And I think so many times we, we put all of our energy into the flesh. And I think Paul's saying, hey, you want to know the solution out of this? Put all your energy into faith in love, expressing itself through love. I, I'm not performing for God. I'm, perf- I'm performing out of gratitude for God. One writer said that uh, the, the, the essence of Christian theology is grace. And the essence of Christian ethics, what we do is gratitude. It's simply a response of love. I just respond to him in love with my, my life for what he did for me. The only works that are going to count at the end of the day is those that have been put from faith and expressed in love. So remember my r- ridiculous story I was telling you about of lifting my arms and I was, I was performing fine until people entered the picture. I don't know if you ever feel like that. Like I was doing good until I, I walked out the door and saw a person and all of a sudden, you know, we, we'd rather not deal with that. And, and, and maybe you felt like that. I'm fine until people come around and, and, and I would just tell us, you're, you're not fine. You're, you're not fine. But God wants to refine you. God wants some breaking. He wants some crushing. He wants some cutting away in our heart. He wants some rendering in our heart. And, and maybe we're doing the right things, but we've lost the right, wrong, we, we've lost the right spirit. We, we've lost the heart of it, and it's become a legalism. And it goes on, and, and uh, I, I was doing fine until, you know, they started throwing elbows. And, and I don't know what that is for you, and you guys can come. And, and I don't know what that is for, for you when you walk out the door. maybe you'll be doing fine Monday until so-and-so walks in the door and here come the elbows or till your boss comes looking over your shoulder and then you start trying to perform. I'm doing fine until, you know, I read that scripture, I see that person's Facebook post and I feel like I got to catch up because I'm not good enough. 
Don't, don't be so easily yoked again by the, the yoke of slavery. You, it is for freedom. He set you free. Stay there because Jesus made a way for you to stay there. It, it reminds me of verse 7 when Paul said, who cut in on you? Who, who, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Cut you off. And, I, and, I, and, and maybe you're, you're here today and, and you didn't walk in in a good place spiritually. Heart's not been in it. You kind of feel burdened all over again. Someone cut in on you. This week, maybe somebody spoke harshly to you. Um, maybe someone said something to you and it offended you. Maybe you've just had this weight, this burden of you're not good enough. You can't, you can't go hang out with them. You're not good enough. You, you can't go sit at that Bible study. You don't, you don't know enough. Who, who cut in on you? And I just feel convicted deeply in my heart that some of us have come into this place burdened and down, and we need to get real about it. And we need to, to, to have some time in which we cut away at that, and we allow God to cut away in our heart and get us back to the true place a true place of love, a true place of, of faith expressing itself through love and not allow ourselves to be moved. Stand firm then. Persevere. Persist. Move past the comfort zone. Move past when it's easy, when all the feels are there. Move past your arms sagging and your knees buckling and people jeering in your face. Move past. Stand firm. Stand fast. And here's the good news. The victory is won. We've still got to fight to fight, but the victory is won. And so we don't fight for a place of victory. We fight from a place of victory. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And if you've believed anything else, if you've come in here and you've had a legalistic mindset, the mind, uh, mindset of a slave, the mindset of a performer, then, then be freed today. Be freed in Jesus' name. The only yoke that God wants us to to where is the one he talks about in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. He says this, take my yoke upon you. Take off the one the world puts on you. Take off the expectations that mom and dad had for you. Take off the expectations you've got for yourself. Take off the expectations that you think your pastor's pushing on you and just put on the one that Jesus puts on you and learn from him and labor with him. There, there's this thing in, in horse training called husbandry. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's where you train horses together. And, and one horse can, can pull about 8,000 pounds by itself. And so this is kind of the nature of what Paul was talking about when he talked about a yoke. There's a single yoke, and then there's a double yoke. And the single yoke is one horse pulling one cart. And what Jesus is inviting us into is to a double hort, uh, a double yoke. We get into it with him. And here's the thing about husbandry is that you would think when two horses are trained together, when they learn together, they would be able to pull 16,000 pounds. But it's false. Actually, two horses being trained together can pull nearly 30,000 pounds. I think it's like somewhere between 24 and 30. But it's like three times the power. And so... Uh, it doesn't make sense numbers-wise, but they're trained together and something happens. And I believe that God's going to allow us to go further and faster if we'll get in the right yoke.
He's going to allow us to do so much more. We're going to have the power to overcome the sin, we, the anxiety, the stress, the fear. The de- We're going to have the power to overcome our lust and our addiction. We're going to have the power to overcome it because we're in the right yoke with the right person, in the yoke with Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, I'm humble at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you stand with me today? God, I thank you for your word that, that calls us to a place of, of repentance, God. For a, it brings us to a place of, um, God, facing it ourselves down, our self-righteousness down. Because, God, we're burdened by the weight, the yoke that has been laid upon us, God. Help us to stay free. For those in the room here today, God, that that they don't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, they haven't been set free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. I pray that they come to that place today, just a confession that says, I'm not enough, God. I'm not enough. And so I just thank you in this room, God. I pray that we would come longing, longing to be in the yoke with you, to remove the heavy yoke of the world and our personal expectations and just get in the yoke with you, to help us not be uh, burdened down with legalism, God, a performance pathogen that's rotting our spirit and disconnecting, keeping us falling away from the goodness of your grace. Would you bind us to your heart? Would you bind us in this, God? As the old song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, and I can feel it in us, God. Some of us are wandering, and we just want to be bound to you. Tune my heart to sing this, this melody of sonnet, God, to sing this song, the symphony of your love and your grace. God, I thank you for your word today. Would we respond to you in faith today?